Have you ever tried to get your congressman to take action on your behalf? Have you ever tried to get them to take action on behalf of our persecuted family? This week on VOM Radio, we're going to hear from a former member of Congress about how we can raise the issue of Christian persecution in a way that does get action. We'll also meet Cole Richards, who leads VOM's international work, and hear how our international ministry staff find and help those brothers and sisters being persecuted for the name of Christ. You'll be informed and inspired this week on the Voice of the Martyrs Radio Network. Jesus never promised his followers an easy path. In fact, he told his disciples the world would hate them. He sent them out as sheep among wolves. Jesus' words came true in the life of the apostles, and they're still coming true today in the lives of his followers around the world. Join host Todd Nettleton as we hear their inspiring stories and learn how we can help right now on the Voice of the Martyrs Radio Network. We're honored today to have Pete Hookstra in our studio uh, here in Bartlesville, Oklahoma. Pete was a member of the House of Representatives from 1993 to 2011, representing Michigan's 2nd District. And uh, we're going to talk a little bit today about how people in Congress respond to the issue of Christian persecution. Do they care? Do they not care? So uh, let's just ask up front, how how big of an issue is Christian persecution uh, on Capitol Hill? Is that something that catches uh, members' attention, or is it something that they really is not that big a deal to them? Well, I think it catches, uh, number one, it's it's great to be with you today, and uh, I think this is a very, very compelling issue. You know, I spent time as the uh, the lead Republican on the House Intelligence Committee. So over a period of about 10 years, I traveled to 80 different countries. Uh, You know, not uh, all the luxurious places. I made sure I went to the places that when people would look at my passport, they'd say, why would you have gone there? But also, these are many of the places where, you know, our brothers and sisters in the faith are feeling uh, some of the greatest pressure for their belief. And I had the opportunity uh, to meet with uh, some of these individuals on my travels. Uh, so I had kind of a unique exposure to that. But I think for many members of Congress, if it's brought to their attention, they're very, very sympathetic to this issue. Uh, they would like to work on the issue. They would like to help on the issue. Uh, but too often, they're, you know, it's not brought to their attention. Uh, and too often, they don't know exactly what they can do to help. You mentioned bringing it to their attention. And I know you were in Congress when the International Religious Freedom Commission was created. Uh, the State Department annual report that comes out and talks about countries of particular concern. What else needs to happen to make it more in the attention, uh, sort of on the radar of the average member of Congress? Well, you got to remember, there's 435 of us in the House of Representatives. Uh, We're up for election every two years. Uh, And what really strikes home is when, if you're at a town hall meeting uh, or when you're walking around the grocery store on the weekend, uh, someone comes up to you and asks you a question. Hey, what are you doing to Social Security? You know, what are you doing with, you know, what are you going to do with taxes? What are you going to do with roads, schools, and these types of things? Uh, What really brings it to people's attention is if this is an issue that is compelling to you, which I think for a lot of Americans and a lot of people of faith, uh, it should be. The conditions around the world are not very good. Uh, You know, the next time you get informed on the issue, uh, 
And the next time you have an opportunity to see your congressman or congresswoman or write them a letter, uh, maybe this is an issue that you bring to their attention and they'll say, wow, you know, there are people back home that are aware of this, uh, that are asking me about it. And, you know, there, there is something that I ought to do. I, I ought to become more aware of, as a, as a member of Congress, what I should be doing about this and how I can help because my people back home care. On a real practical level, some of the things that have been done, the, the International Religious Freedom Commission, the State Department reports, does that stuff really make a difference on the ground in Egypt or China or North Korea or well, this is one where, uh, where you guys probably have a whole lot of a better idea than what I do. Uh, but I, I do believe that as I've traveled, one of the things that, and people have asked me to stop in and, you know, meet with this group or meet with this individual, I think when people overseas rec- recognize that the United States of America, whether it's through the State Department, uh, whether it's through other actions that we've taken, uh, whether it is the activity of, of an individual congressperson stopping and meeting and saying, we care, we are aware, uh, we're praying for you, and we're going to support you in whatever way we can, is a tremendous support uh, and an affirmation uh, to the folks in these countries who are suffering persecution that they're not alone. Uh, and I think that makes a huge difference. And that's why, you know, it's so important for the, the kind of work that Voice of the Martyrs is doing, uh, because that's what they're saying, that's what they're saying every day, uh, a real tangible ev- evidence that says you're not alone. There are other people in the world who know and who care. I think, uh, honestly, I think that's one of our greatest ministries. When we go, yes, we're bringing help. Yes, we're bringing Bibles. But I think a lot of times just the fact that we're there is the biggest ministry because, like you say, it says you're not alone, you're not forgotten. So let's say you're a member of Congress, and I call your office, and I you say— remember, you, you know, Can I just share go. something with you? Because you just got to remember the, the context that you're going in. Uh, I still remember you know, going to a, uh, a charter school run by Mama Maggie in Egypt. And, you know, you think, ah, charter school. Okay, you know, you got the public school system and charter school. No, I'm sorry. Her school is literally on the dumps of Egypt. And this is the dump. And I went on one of the days that I was there. I've been there a couple of times. It was raining. So you're walking through five, six inches of mud. And that's maybe the best of of what's there. But it's a bad environment. Uh, But, you know, the the Coptics are living on this dump. It's where the school is located. Uh, And for them to have, you know, you know, and they, they, they look much different than what Americans do. They look up to the U.S. Congress. Uh, and for them to see a member of the U.S. Congress or someone from Voice of the Martyrs walking to their school and saying, we want to see what you're doing and we want to show support makes a huge difference. It does. Okay, so you're a member of Congress and I call your office and I say, you know, this pastor in Egypt just got arrested what do you? What does your office do, or what do you do on a on a practical level? What happens after one of our listeners calls their congressman? What's going to go on? Well, I think the uh, we we would have a uh, an internal discussion uh, within the office and says, okay, you know, what can we do? Does actually contacting that country's embassy does that actually help, uh, or does that hurt? Um, you know, should we go out and communicate with 
15, 20 of our, our good friends on Capitol Hill and, and write a letter uh, publicly that has 25 signatures on it, 25 members of Congress, and say, you know, we're asking for an explanation of what's happening here. Or, you know, we, uh, we, we demand this person's release. Uh, or is the most effective way to do something like this is not to do it publicly, uh, but just to step back, reach out, and find somebody that knows the ambassador from that country and go through back channels and say, you need to know there's, there's a bunch of members of Congress uh, who are very concerned about this. And if, if nothing happens, if this issue isn't resolved, uh, they may go public with it. And so you got to be very, very careful. Uh, and what you want to do is you want to take the leadership from the people in the host country, the ones that are closest to the problem. Uh, and, you know, they may say, hey, man, it's time to blow this up and to go public with it. That's the only way this government's going to impact. Or saying, you know, hey, we're, we're just about, we've just about gotten this resolved. All we need is a little bit of a push from Washington, uh, and we can do it. So I think the important part of that is just because, you know, I call my congressman and the next night I don't see it on the evening news – doesn't mean nothing's happening. It very well could be a case where behind the scenes a lot's happening, but it's not happening publicly. That's right. I mean, you you will in the countries that I've traveled to, uh, you know, there are, there are some countries, there are some leaders that will respond to public pressure. Uh, that there are others that will just firm up and say, well, you know, I was going to deal with this, but you know, I can't back down now uh, and make it look like I'm backing down to the American uh, pressure from the American Congress. I can't do that. So you've got to be, uh, you know, what you can expect is a response. And what you can demand is, is a response from your congressperson, you know, a week, two, three weeks later saying, hey, I called about this. Uh, exactly what, what did you do? And you can have a dialogue. And what that does is it makes you more educated uh, so that, you know, you're because uh, I'm assuming if you're calling your congressman, you're not only talking to your congressman, you're also talking to people at church, you're talking to your friends at work, uh, and you're raising this issue uh, and those kinds of things so that you then also can be a better advocate for your brothers and sisters in Christ. What's a typical response? You, you've met with some of these foreign governments, you've raised some of these issues. What is their typical response? Is it that's none of your business, you're an American, or is it, wow, we need to work on that? Uh, the typical response is denial. Okay. Yeah, that's not uh, even happening here. <laughs> it's, yeah, it's not. Uh, it's, it's, a, it, it's exaggerated. Um, you know, that's just a small little group that's out there. In reality, it's, it's, it's you know, these, these folks were criminals. Uh, you know, you're not getting uh, the right information uh, and those types of things. I, it just happened to me uh, in the last couple of weeks where uh, I was meeting with an official from a foreign government. Um, and towards the end of the discussion, I just said, hey, tell me about, you know, I'm aware of some of these, this Christian persecution that's going on uh, in your country. I think your government's moving in the right direction. Uh, and it was almost immediately, now, Pete, you're wrong. Uh, it's, it's really not happening at all. Wow. Okay. Uh, we've got, you know, this is this is under control, uh, you know. So the yeah, the easiest uh, way out of this is uh, is just you know deny, deny, deny. So as a as somebody who's going to call my congressman, the more facts and the more details I can provide, that's going to be helpful to them. Oh, absolutely. Um, 
you know, you would hope that your congressman would be able to, congressperson would be able to get more facts and those types of things than uh, than what you would. But remember, they they're they've got a tremendous number of pressures that uh, are impacting them each and every day. Um, and so what you've got to do is you've got to be you've got to be able to cut through the clutter to get this on their priority list. And if you can bring facts and specifics uh, and recommendations for, you know, something that uh, they need to do, you know, hey, we need you to do this, uh, that becomes very, very helpful. But I think, again, you know, this is where you go to a town hall meeting. And, you know, then the comment may very much be uh, along the lines without any specific case, just say, hey, Congressman, I, I'm, I'm, I'm aware of this that's going on. It, it, it's, it's something that I'm very, very concerned about. And I, I'm hoping that you or some of your staff is spending some time monitoring this issue and that you're part of a caucus uh, in Washington that, that is focused, uh, that has some focus on this issue uh, so that it is, it is somewhere on your priority list. It seems like this is an issue that crosses party lines, or at least it should cross party lines. And I think nowadays we need more issues that bring people together. So it could be that we'll get more of a hearing than maybe we would have gotten. Uh, I think that's one of the, I think that's absolutely right, uh, that there are uh, there's good people on both sides of the aisle in Washington. Most of the time that they most of the time they're they're in disagreement uh, on what needs to be done. But actually uh, focusing on and discussing the issue of religious persecution, the persecution of Christians uh, in other parts of the world uh, is something that you can get a pretty good consensus of, uh, you know, conservative Republicans and liberal Democrats uh, that, you know, when you take a look at a piece of paper and if you don't read the, the body of the letter and you see that the, you see the, the list of the people who have signed it saying, who could have signed, how could these two people be on the same list? And then when you go back and read the body of the letter, what you'll find is that it, it's dealing with the issue of persecution. Let me close with this last question. How can we pray for our members of Congress? How, how can we lift them up and pray for them? The first thing is, you know, they can't be doing this other, these other parts of the Lord's work if, number one, their walk with the Lord isn't good. So I've, I've always asked people, number one, you know, pray, pray for me that, that my personal walk with the Lord uh, stays strong. Uh, the second thing is I can't be effective in Congress if I'm not effective with my family. Uh, so pray for a congressperson and their family. Uh, that you know that that that's our number one responsibility is raising up our kids, and it's the same for it's the same for them. And then if if they've got the strong foundation of their strong personal faith, uh, a strong faith at home, and that that's binding them together, uh, the spouses, the kids, and the family, and all of those types of things, that really then equips them to go out and deal with these other issues. So it's kind of like pray for the individual, pray for the family, and then pray for the work. Uh, because the work's not going to be blessed if the individual is worried about his own walk with Christ or, or what's going on in his family. So those are the priorities that I always put it in, those three things. That's great. That gives us a great roadmap to pray for our government leaders. Uh, Congressman Pete Hookstra, thank you very much for being our guest today. Hey, good to be with you. Thank you. You're listening to Todd Nettleton on the Voice of the Martyrs radio network. We're going to transition now from the halls of Congress to the halls of VOM. 
Our next guest is Cole Richards, who leads VOM's international work. Cole oversees a team consisting of people from literally dozens of countries and backgrounds, all unified by their desire to serve the Lord and serve our persecuted family. Cole, we're glad you're with us this week. Let's talk about VOM's international work. How does that work? How many people are involved in that? Uh, how many countries are we working in? Just tell us a little bit about the scope, because I think a lot of our listeners know about VOM's newsletter. They know what we do in America, but they don't necessarily know what we do overseas. Yeah, and a lot of that, it's uh, things that we don't talk about. So it's great to kind of sum up what the scope of it all is how large it is now as the mission's grown. But currently we're active in 67 countries. We have 42 full-time leaders who are regional leaders or country leaders for our work. That's a team of more than 20 different nationalities. Uh, only a few of us, a small percentage, are based here in the U.S. And the others live in the hostile in restricted nations or in the region, uh, the closest we can get to the situations. But yeah, that's uh, it's a large team now, and it's a, a work in which we're um, dug into these places where we have established people in the countries responding to persecution and advancing the kingdom there, uh, which is different now than a small number of us traveling in and out of the country. Now, these countries, now we're really established there in a long-term work. And I think one of the things that's grown out of that is our relationships with the local churches and the local church leaders have grown because we have this sort of long-term investment and long-term contacts there. That's exactly right. We want to really be the brothers and sisters to the persecuted church worldwide and stand with them, and that involves a deep level of relationship where we understand them. We're not going in there with our own ideas or uh, strategies. Rather, we stand with them, we learn what God's called them to do, and then we join in with that as, as the Lord will lead us to join in with what they're doing in the nation. So we really get a chance to learn them and understand them and then meet their needs the best way possible. Let's talk about how how VOM prioritizes our international work. I know you have seen some of the letters. I've seen some of the letters. Well, why aren't you helping this guy or that guy or that situation? So how do you, in the IM department, how do you set those priorities? We describe ourselves as the junior partner in a relationship with the indigenous church. So as I mentioned earlier, the ideas or the strategies or the needs are field-driven. So in... Last year, we did 974 distinct international projects in 64 countries, and each one of those was a unique and tailored response to persecution or a unique and specific way we stand with our brothers and sisters to embolden their witness, or it was advancing uh, the Bible and distributing the Bible in really difficult areas. But each one of those is special and unique but they all have the same thing in common in which we're serving the persecuted church. We're, we go there to be their servants, to stand with them. What is the process of working through that? How, you know, how does a project come in the door, and then how do we decide, okay, yeah, that's one we're doing? Uh, how does that work kind of mechanically? Our team of field leaders spends all our time with the indigenous church, learning what they need. Uh, first of all, I'd like to mention that we're very agile and responsive to emergencies. So when someone's persecuted, at that moment we can respond in different ways, whether it's medically, through legal help, practical assistance, relocation, 
uh, safe housing, these different uh, things that our brothers and sisters need in a true emergency sense. And each one of those responses becomes a project. But then there are many other projects that we're much more deliberate about, where we really seek to do things the wisest way, the most efficient way. Uh, Bible distribution in restricted contexts, for instance, you know, those are all done in careful plans, uh, often in conjunction with other missions organizations, always in partnership with the local church. And so these different project proposals come from the ground, from our in-country networks, and through our leaders, we review those in a committee format. But as I said, it's really a core competency for us to be agile and responsive. Uh, the environments we work in change all the time. I mean, these countries are continuously changing. And so we've structured ourselves to be very responsive for emergencies, but as I said, wise and deliberative for longer-term plans and for larger projects. What are some of the stories, or I know your job entails more than sitting in an office in Bartlesville, Oklahoma. You travel, you meet with some of these people that we serve. Uh, what are some of the people or some of the stories that you've heard in, in the last few months or the last year uh, that have stuck with you, that have kind of attached themselves to your heart? Well, there are a lot of different things. We work with faithful ministers so it wasn't too long ago, earlier this year, I was in Sudan working with ministers who have been faithful through multiple imprisonments, uh, incredible poverty, uh, violence directed against them, which amounts to genocide and religious persecution. And so I was really touched by their faithfulness and service for, uh, in one case, more than 50 years, despite these things. But then there are other things that are tremendous to witness. I was recently in Vietnam in which uh, new converts, people who had just come to Christ, were suffering greatly literally a few hours after they converted. So with very little information or training or people surrounding them, they had such a strong relationship with Christ and such strong faith that they were paying a tremendous price, and I, I mean including torture, physical torture, for their brand new faith. When you come back from a trip like in Vietnam with, with these people who brand new faith, and yet they're withstanding literally torture. What do you, what does that do for you? What is that, what happens with your own faith? What, what stories do you want to tell your kids when you get home, uh, when you come back from a trip like that? Yeah, that's the, a hard part about the work we do is there's a lot of bad news. You know, every day, all day long, we're hearing about persecution and violence and all these uh, really atrocities against our brothers and sisters. But with this, we get to see God move. And so over time, visiting all these indigenous networks in these tough areas, I've become, a, and our other leaders are this way too, I've become a firsthand witness to God's activity in the most difficult situations. So I'm able to come home for my own family and then for our newsletter and other media to share things uh, that are just tremendous uh, situations in which you can just see God's fingerprints all over them. You you can see the power of God because the people are suffering through such difficulties that only God could carry them through it. It's it's truly supernatural forgiveness at work. It's supernatural boldness at work. It's uh you know supernatural faith that defies even reason or explanation as I, I mentioned with Vietnam. And so to see God's hand move in these ways so many times over and over again 
it is just amazing. It's tremendous. What do you feel like is the blessing that the persecuted church offers American Christians, people like you and I, people that we go to church with? Mm. Why do they need to know about the persecuted church? Yeah, this is a great question. And I like to sum it up in terms of the eternal perspective. Uh, why would you stand for Christ if it's going to cost you your job, if it's going to cost you jail, if, if you're going to be tortured, um, if you'll be thrown out of your family and lose everything? Well, the only answer to that is the eternal perspective. So uh, just as we see in the New Testament, people choose to embrace uh, the treasure, which is Christ and eternal life with him, and, and we, in doing so, pay the price in the temporal world. So it's true in my life here in the U.S., and I know many other of us struggle with the material and the temporary and uh, the busyness of our daily lives all the way to uh, the sin of materialism. It has everything to do with the here and now. And these brothers and sisters that I get a chance to serve, they are always wrapped up in eternity because things here aren't going well for them. You know, they're, they're paying a price every day. They're suffering in this world. And the only reason they have to do so is what they have in eternity with Christ. We really want our listeners to be prayer warriors. We want to invite them to pray uh, for the persecuted church, but also for the work of VOM. And so as you look at the international ministries that are going on through VOM, uh, what are some key ways that they can be in prayer for your staff, for the projects that are going on? Uh, how can we pray and support your work? Yeah, I like to say... Um, Local churches understand missionary activity when they send a missionary out to go reach the lost in other countries or to, um, you know, evangelize or do Bible distribution or all these different activities. Well, the activity that we're doing is that we're being sent out from the body of Christ here in the U.S. to really bridge to our brothers and sisters and go there to encourage them and build this idea of the body of Christ in one family. i really request prayer that we succeed in this endeavor, that we succeed in being able to access these believers in these really difficult places. We do that through a number of covert and very careful means, but we really want to do that. We want to go where they are. We want to meet with them. We want to say, look, you're not alone. Encouragement results from that and unity in the body of Christ. And then also we want to provide help. And the help comes in all different forms. And we want to stand by these brothers and sisters and help them advance the kingdom in their area. We want to provide them with Bibles. So many of them lack the Bible because of governmental restrictions and hostility and other situations. So I'd ask that first you pray that we succeed in this work to really unify the body of Christ, to show these precious brothers and sisters they're not alone, uh, but also pray for our workers and their families. There's a, certain amount of risk involved with this work. There's a lot of um, being away from home and family in places where people would be tempted to fear or worry, you know, these most difficult contexts in the world where we travel. But yeah, I, I guess out of all that, though, like I said, pray that we'll succeed in creating unity in the body of Christ and advancing the kingdom in these areas. That's the eternity that we're, we're seeking. I hope we've expanded your eternal perspective this week on VOM Radio. You can listen to this program again or share it with your friends at vomradio.net. We've talked about several ways you can pray this week, and I hope you've been inspired to pray. 
Pray for government leaders here in the U.S. Pray for our persecuted family around the world. And pray for our VOM staff as they travel and serve. Thank you, Pete Hookstra and Cole Richards, for being our guests this week. And thank you for listening. If you've heard something that inspired you, I hope you'll tweet about it with the hashtag VOMRadio. I look forward to our next time together on the Voice of the Martyrs Radio Network.